who, for you, is Jesus. If you had a word or if you had a phrase to describe for you how you know Jesus, what would that word or phrase be? Perhaps for some, Jesus is a teacher, the one who welcomed little children and said, forbid them not, let them come unto me. Some know Jesus that way. Perhaps some think of Jesus as being a teacher of adults, a a learned person, a rabbi, and teaching in that way. Some of us might know Jesus as a great prophet and reformer. Others of us may call on Jesus primarily as Messiah and Savior and even friend. And what if Jesus were our physician? Not judge, not jury, but physician. How might our relationship with Jesus, our our relationship with God, our relationships with one another change if we knew Jesus as our physician? In the panel that is depicting part of the story that we heard today, this third panel from the back, it has the healing story up at the top, and at the bottom it says Florence Nightingale. And Florence Nightingale may help us understand a bit of what it means for Jesus to be our physician. Florence is named after the city in which she was born, Florence, Italy. She was born there in 1820 to well-to-do English They were on an extended vacation in Italy. She's most well known for her work during the time of the Crimean War, that time of mass death, when so many wounded soldiers were dying from diseases from which they could otherwise be healed. She had a kind of practical wisdom about her because what she did was to introduce sanitation What she did was to introduce a healthier diet. She saved thousands upon thousands of lives in her work. She wrote widely. Nursing at the time was really a denigrated profession. It was looked down upon. It was not an education, uh, a, a vocation that had any education behind it. So she formed nursing education, not only in England, but she inspired nursing education here in the United States. She was even called upon by the, the, the Union side of the Civil War to help uh, uh, form and, and guide field hospitals. And in our window, perhaps it's no mistake that above her, the upper, upper panel, in the upper right, there is an abacus. The abacus, of course, is a symbol of mathematics. Now, Florence Nightingale comes from a kind of exalted social position in England, but it was a time in which even very well-educated English women were not to study science and mathematics, and yet she herself was a statistician, and she was very much founded in science, based in science in her reforms of of the medical practice in nursing. She was a formidable 
intellectual power, and she went against the social conventions of that day and indeed the desires of her family to study as she did and to become a nurse. From a a profession that was looked down upon, she elevated it into its uh, position of great healing power. Her powerful experiences of God propelled her into a healing ministry, and those same powerful experiences of God also uh, propelled her to embrace science. And in a day when we find, once again, science being oddly assailed too often by people in the name of faith, She is a model for us, yet again, of the friendship between faith and rationality. Amen. Her view of humanity included their ability to pursue truth. Truth which was necessary to our becoming like God. It's a remarkable phrase that she has. Embracing truth is so important. Embracing learning is so important, for it is through truth that we know and become like God. Her ability to move beyond conventions reminds me of uh, that great writer of the American South, Flannery O'Connor. She herself was a, a, a devout Catholic person, and she had a marvelous way of expressing a certain truth. You may know the phrase. You may or may not know how Flannery O'Connor finished it. I'll be curious in a moment to see if you, if you know this. Uh, Flannery O'Connor put it this way. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you. Does anyone know what Flannery O'Connor said? Yes. That's what Jesus said. Flannery O'Connor put put it this way. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. (laughs) To heed God's call in our lives makes us profoundly odd. Thanks be to God. For we're called beyond social convention and called into the very unique being that each of us is called to. I don't don't know God's blueprint, God's plan, God's seeds, and you, God knows. And you may know. Pursuing faith, hope, truth, and love, so each of us may know. We may become odd in the eyes of many, and yet know ourselves beloved, at the same time. Nightingale said this, the world is put back, held back, injured. The world is put back by the death of everyone who has to sacrifice the development of his or her peculiar peculiar gifts, who sacrifices the development of his or her peculiar gifts to conventionality. Her faith drew her not to conformity, but rather into the full realization of her unique personhood. She suggested instead that human beings were intended by God to be individual personalities in cooperative relationships, one with God, not prostrate before God. It's a powerful image, how we relate. You see, our images of God, our icons of Christ, these matter. How we know God, how we think of God, how we embrace Jesus, it matters. Are we prostrate or are we one with? Florence lived out the mercy she knew in Jesus, the physician. There is a story of a time when she was ministering with 
engaging with a young woman who was a sex worker. This young woman was concerned that she was going to hell, and she said to Florence, please pray, God, that you may never be in the despair that I am in at this time. And Florence replied, oh, my girl, are you not now more merciful than the God you think you are going to? Yet the real God is far more merciful than any human creature ever was or ever can imagine. Christ is mercy. Florence Nightingale knew Jesus as the greatest mystic ever and at the same time the most active reformer that ever lived. And so Jesus lives out that gospel story today where Jesus, after the healings that he performs, what's so remarkable about what what happens at this juncture, there are 31 times when Jesus performs uh, deeds of healing. About a fifth of the gospels are taking up with these healing stories. And yet what is so remarkable in the passage today is that Jesus commissions the 12 and sends them out, sends us out to be agents of healing. Florence Nightingale conceived her own work to be daily and utterly ordinary. And also we, in our ordinary work, our daily lives, can practice healing. In the epistle of James, we heard, are any among you sick? They should, they should go to the elders and they, they should pray for healing. Have the elders pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, there's power in the asking. There's power in our desire. The woman had suffered for 12 long years with hemorrhages. Debilitated not only in body, but can you imagine the social shame that she would have been under? We see signs of that shame and that she she wanted to press up anonymously and, and touch Jesus' cloak. She was shackled almost by that shame, but not entirely. She dared to reach out to ask to touch. And she hoped to slip away quietly, having been healed. And yet, when Jesus invites, she moves beyond her shame. She speaks beyond her shame. She speaks for all to hear what she had experienced, how powerful that is. When in our lives we move beyond our shame and we can say, this is what I have struggled with. For anyone who has ever been, for instance, in a 12-step program and is able to say, hi, my name is, and I am an alcoholic or overeater or that power of being able to name, this is my identity, and no, I will be shamed by it no longer. There is power in the healing. There is power in the, in the naming. There is power in reaching out and naming our desire for healing. One way, one way of seeking healing is to ask through a prayer of healing. At the conclusion of the worship service, we'll have a a brief healing service, and we come not because we must. There's no compulsion. It's entirely voluntary. We come not because we must, but because 
we may. We may pray for a shame. We may pray for healing in body, in spirit, in mind. We pray personally and yet confidentially for whatever is said, it will not be shared further. And it's not that the pastors have any particular healing power, it's that together we open to Christ who is the physician. Come forward, we pray, and if you would like, there is an anointing with oil, just a drop of olive oil on the forehead. And can we have a hand in one another's healing? The great American poet Walt Whitman also, also was here in Washington, D.C. during the time of the Civil War. He, he tended to the sick. He volunteered and he served, and he wrote letters to his mom. And in one of the letters to his mom, he writes this. Upon a few of these hospitals, I have been almost daily calling as a missionary on my own account for the sustenance and consolation of some of the most needy cases of sick and dying men. One has much to learn to do good in these places. Here. I flourish. I can testify that friendship has literally cured a fever and the medicine of daily affection, a bad wound. So we may professionally be physicians in our own lives and we know what it is to reach out with a kind word and how that heals. Or we may be deacons week by week that share the balm of affection. Friendship in the name of Christ can heal. So this day, at the conclusion of the service, come if you wish. Come to be anointed anew and be like Walt Whitman to be encouraged in friendship. Come to be anointed anew like Florence Nightingale to have the full flourishing of your personhood. Or come in the vulnerability and the honesty of your own life where you need healing to find anew that Christ is indeed our physician. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O merciful Christ, that you know us through and through. And that the places in which we need healing in our lives, you are there. Heal us with your love. Heal us with your mercy. Heal us with your power. In your holy name we ask it. Amen.